Phase World Podcast helps independent creators live their creative and financial freedom. I'm your host, Fei Wu, and I'll be taking you through a series of interviews with creators from around the world who are living life on their own terms. Each episode is packed with tactics, nuggets you can implement, origin stories to make listening productive and enjoyable. We're not only focused on the more aspirational stories, but relatable ones as well. We also have non-interview-based mini-series releasing throughout the year to help deep dive into topics such as freelancing, marketing, even indie filmmaking that will benefit creators like you. Show notes, links, and ways to connect with the guests are available on phaseworld.com. Now, on to the show. Hi there, this is Fei Wu from Phase World. Thank you so much for listening and welcome to another episode of the Phase World podcast live stream. Why do I say live stream? Because I have been live streaming all of these conversations directly on my social media channel under Phase World. So that is F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D. To be honest, I so regret not doing this much, much sooner because live streaming or multicasting are not brand new technologies since the pandemic. In fact, they have been around for a long time. So, um, you know, originally, uh, first it became very popular on Facebook and everybody started uh, broadcasting whatever they're doing. And then, you know, Twitter caught up and there's now Instagram Live. A lot of people use Instagram Live for interviews, which I find really fascinating. And what I have been doing is called multi-streaming. And I use the service called Restream.io, which I, I love. And it's so simple. It doesn't require you to be highly technical. And how it works is I will hook it up to Zoom. And through Zoom, I will um, basically just live stream. I connect whatever stream key website I need to connect and off I go. And it's super exciting because I love this idea of raw and cut, uh, really authentic content production process. Previously for years and years, uh, my producer Herman and I would spend weeks to edit an episode. And that took so much effort and there's music embedding and there's leveling, all that. Uh, Of course, you know, something that was instructed by me, I wanted this end product to be so polished. But then later on, realize that when I go live, not only different social media platforms will actually favor live videos, but I actually also got to interact with people live. So if you're interested in uh, experiencing that, and we have a lot of really interesting guests coming up, then definitely follow me at FaceWorld on Facebook, Twitter, or my new YouTube channel under Fei Wu, my full name. And I hope to see you there. So um, who is going to join us today, you may be wondering. So I would like to introduce you to my guest today, whose name is Jake Kahana. And Jake is the inventor and a co-creator behind caveday.org. That's right, you heard it right. Caveday, C-A-V-E-D-A-Y.org. And he's also a teacher at The School of Life, a YouTube channel and organization based in England that I absolutely love. In this episode, I talked to Jake really about his entrepreneurial process, about his origin story. I met Jake through Seth Godin's L10BA, and he is certainly not the only one because we have interviewed so many people from L10BA whose stories have resonated with so many of you guys, you listeners. You know, with Jake as a new friendship as a result of Cave Day, by the way, if you don't know what it is, Cave Day is a phenomenon. Jake and his co-creator basically invented this idea of virtual 
workplace. And I know virtual workplace is not brand new, but the way they do it is really fascinating. So each and every day, which you can see a schedule on caveday.org, a group of people, by the way, that's not 15 or 20, I joined a session that was up to nearly 100 people at nine in the morning. So the sessions could run anywhere between 60 minutes to two hours, you know, or 120 minutes where you start the session with everyone. During the session, you actually go through yoga workouts, some basic stretches. Uh, you start and pause what we call sprints with people within your group. Um, so what it means is, you know, everything's timed around 45 minutes And so you do have to get up and stretch, and then you refocus on whatever you're doing. What I also love about the process is they actually introduce a lot of these best practices to you and will teach you how to be more productive and effective with your work. And once you um, join the session, first you say hi and kind of meet and greet everyone in the group. And it's just really lovely. For me, even though it's not something that I do day in and day out, but a lot of people do become subscribers and this is part of their daily routine, part of their weekly work life. Um, so definitely check it out. I also had the chance to talk to Jake about his experience working at the School of Life. He even told us how he was um, selected to be an instructor in the United States, in New York in particular. And that interview process was something that he really thrived in because Jake also worked as a professor and he's a, a teaching professor focusing on design. And that really gave him a the, the leverage to win over the competition. So um, thank you so much for listening know that I really appreciate you here. As I'm recording this, it's kind of late at night. As a content creator, especially as a podcaster, going through these materials and working late into the evening, this part is so important. And I absolutely love to be able to connect with you guys. So I will see you at the end of the episode. And next week, I'll be right back for another episode of the Face World Podcast. So much love to this community. And without further ado, please welcome Jake Kahana to the Face World Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Fei Wu again from Phase World Media. You're probably sick of me if you're watching this from my personal profile, but I'm with someone who is absolutely not boring at all. I am super impressed to bring in Jake Kahana. I didn't even ask how to say your last name. That's correct? That's right. You got it. Awesome. Well, Jake and I met during Seth Godin's Elton BA 8. So we're actually in the same cohort together. Right then and there, I knew that Jake was going to you were talking about different projects, but we all were and how, how many of those really become real things. But yours certainly did. And a quick intro, Jake is a designer entrepreneur who teaches creative leaders the tools and skills to build thriving creative teams. He is the founder, co-founder of Cave Day, a company founded to maximize productivity for individual and corporations through facilitated deep focus sessions. I participated in one and we're certainly going to go over that experience. It is so fascinating. Um, another interest of mine is that Jake um, is a founding U.S. faculty member with the School of Life, which is by Alain uh, de Bouton. I've been following his work for a long time, interested in all things related to emotional intelligence. Last but not least, Jake, I'll make sure I'll force Jake to talk about his permanent collection at MoMA. And uh, that, that's it. Welcome, Jake. Yeah, thanks for having me, Faye. All right. So, so there's a lot of things that you do, Jake. Like, 
how could you tell us a bit about maybe your origin story, just in case my audience is not as familiar with your work? You're a designer entrepreneur. How did that come about? Sure. Uh, I went to school. I went to college uh, trying to get into the animation industry. I was like, I'm going to go work at Pixar. Uh, I went to school out in LA. And within my first semester, I said, animation is not for me. Uh, I'm, I'm going way back, but why yeah. not? Why wasn't it for you? Uh, you know, I was like, I love Pixar and movies and filmmaking. And I just found animation to be really tedious. It was really slow. I think my first semester, one of my assignments was to make a two minute hand drawn animation. And I would, I drew like 1200 drawings of a, a man walking. It was like, not how I wanted to spend all my time. I appreciated the character development and the design and the writing and the storytelling. Mm -hmm. I appreciate animation. But really what that did is it sort of set the tone for my whole career because through college, I said, I'm not sure what I want to do. Let me take a, a, an acting class and a songwriting class and let me take some uh, different kinds of art classes and web design classes. And that kind of broad background and exploration uh, led me into what I sort of do all the time, which is I get really involved in something and I learn a lot. But um, basically what happened is that broad background and learning led me into a career in advertising. I was an art director uh, at some different agencies for eight or nine years. Um, oh, took some time off. I got really burnt out as people do in creative fields. Oh, and I know. Advertising. Oh, yeah. And so I took a year off and I decided to learn how to code and work with some tech startups. I actually moved to Tel Aviv. Uh, and lived in Israel for six months, um, learned how to code, moved to San Francisco for two months. Uh, I was just sort of all over the place, fell in love with like digital product design and um, startup culture. Uh, mm -hmm. I've, I've since sort of gotten a little uh, cynical about startup culture and the growth mindset and all that. We can talk about that later. But um, yeah, I sort of have this background of advertising and storytelling and, and design uh, and this you know, within the last six or seven years, this fascination with um, side projects and startup culture and, and building different companies. So um, yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about all of the things you mentioned, my design work, um, my mm -hmm. Cave Day project, Cave Day project turned into a company uh, and the teaching that I do with the School of Life and with my own brand. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I'm, I'm going to, I have a lot of questions and I know that we have so much to cover, but I would like to hear about your experience in, in Israel. I mean, you not only did a lot of things, and by the way, I also spent about a decade in business tech consulting as well as advertising. And that's why Margot and Aaron, Margot, Aaron, Margot and Aaron, sorry, Margot and Aaron appeared on Phase Roll podcast and we like, we hit it off so well and start kind of making fun of the culture a little bit, um, but you've lived through it. And what was it? I guess, what was it like for you? What was that, that moment you said, oh, I'm going to pivot? Um, you know, were, were you scared to try to do something else? Or were you pretty comfortable for the most part to, to do something on your own? Um, there's a lot of questions in there. I think I know. <laughs> what ended up happening for me is it, it's, def it's definitely a scary thing to go into a, a new industry and to pick up your life. I was living in LA for 10 years and um, I think for me, what ended up happening is a couple of things were were going poorly mm -hmm. uh, in terms of like my rent was going up in a, a couple of months. And I said, oh, that's that's kind of a sour thing. I love my apartment, but is it worth at the time? It was like fifteen hundred dollars for this place in Venice Beach, like two blocks on the beach. And I was like, oh, that's a lot of money. And 
now I'm sure it's more. So my rent was going up. Um, I was freelancing and a job just fell through. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I broke up with somebody. I like, had a really short relationship and it, it broke up. And I was sort of like, all of these things are sort of happening. I think now is a good time to sort of pick up and go. Um, mm-hmm. And so I did some research and I found uh, an organization that helped people set up uh, within, within an internship and an apartment in Tel Aviv. And that's really all I needed. So um, I wasn't interested in sort of getting a big job. I just sort of wanted some new learning. I was learning how to code and and working in the tech industry and the startup community out there. Uh, so I'll I'll say right now, like it was very scary. I packed up my whole life. I put it into storage and I moved across the world. Um, and I think that that uh, was something that felt like a necessary part of what I wanted out of my, my twenties. I, I did it when I was 27, 28. Um, and I just was like, if I don't go live abroad now, if I don't go try something new, then I feel like I'm sort of locked into what I'm doing for the next 20, 30, 40 years. And so, um, that to me felt even scarier yeah. to do the same thing of something that I didn't really like than um, to take a little bit of a leap and take six months to, to move to Israel. And, um, sort of on a personal note, I ended up meeting my wife in Israel. She yeah. was living in New York, did the same thing, got burnt out at her job, took six months to work at a startup in Tel Aviv. She lived down the hall from me and now we have a child together. Wow, that's incredible. Both of you are from the US and actually met in Israel and uh, sort Correct. of on that same trajectory and same wavelength. You know, uh, wow, that's really incredible. I feel like I definitely heard yeah. those stories before from my other friends who you know, come from the same place, but actually met somewhere else with that same vision. And one of the reasons why I mentioned kind of that transition and into going to Israel, I suppose where I assume that you didn't really know a lot of people there. Did you have family who lived in Israel or anything? I um, did. Uh, my, my father is Israeli. His mm-hmm. uh, two brothers and two sisters are there, but um, the purpose was not to stay with them. The purpose was to have a bit of a life on my own. So mm-hmm. um I, I feel like I did that. I, I definitely had the help in terms of like, um, you know, every couple of weeks they would reach out. I would go have dinner at their house or they'd meet me for coffee. And, and I had that support system. Um, but generally like made my own new friends, had my own apartment, you know, went grocery shopping and, you know, furniture shopping uh, and, and navigating a new country, a new language. Um, all of that was was a part of that. Wow. Did you, how much Hebrew did you speak or, or do you speak? Um, now I actually speak a lot. Um, mm-hmm. At the time I could probably like ask your name, ask, you know, what kind of work you do and not even really understand the answer. Um, <laughs> but I, it, it was something that was really important to me and, and continues to be important in terms of like, I guess I'm on this kick right now of, of learning things and doing habits that don't necessarily have an end goal mm-hmm. that, is, that are just like, I'm interested in getting better at something without saying, um, you know, once I do this, I'm done. It's like, I, I think this is part of a lifelong practice. The same with like stretching and exercise and reading every day. I'm not trying to read 50 books a year. I'm just trying to get in the habit of reading every day. And the same thing with Hebrew. I think the idea mm-hmm. of like, practicing three to five times a week, doing some flashcards five times a week, um, mm-hmm. you know, 10 minutes a day uh, is building this habit that uh, is really 
becoming a meaningful part of my life right now. I think that's actually why a lot of people like your brand and like the things that you create, because I think your belief system is inherently there. And that's not a surprise, but I definitely notice with a number of projects I got to know through you that you created is that you're really, you're really in it for the long game. I know that's kind of why we love Seth Godin's work so much. Yeah. Um, it's not about a destination. It's not a quick fix, uh, you know, get paid fast scheme sort of thing, which we see so much of. Um, you know, as I'm curious, Jake, like how people say that it's hard to sometimes transfer or translate uh, your prior skill set to something new that you're creating. So I know it's a little bit of a sharp pivot, but I would love to kind of, you know, hear your thoughts on, on cave day, you know, tell mm -hmm. us what, what is it and why did you feel the need or the drive to create something like that? So cave day is facilitated deep focus sessions that are held on zoom in a session that we call the cave. Um, so a, a short pitch might be, think about it like soul cycle for work. You come mm -hmm. to a space, you have a guide who is going to sort of push you, kick your ass a little bit um, more than you could on your own. You're surrounded by a group of people that are working alongside of you. Um, we're all on our own journey, but we're all doing it together. Um, but you show up doing your own work. Um, and, you know, you could go get a, a bike or get on a bike and push yourself. But having the group, having the, the leader um, makes you work harder, makes you focus more uh, and, and keeps you accountable to the work you're going to do. So um, it's sort of a hard thing to understand that people join us on Zoom to do their work, but it's not just co-working. Um, we, we take breaks together. We start together. We end together. We, we check in at the beginning. What are you working on? And we check out what did you get accomplished at the end? So um, all of these elements are part of the methodology that we're building. And, um, it started, uh, actually I launched it during the alt MBA in January of 2017. I didn't uh, know with, that. Wow. Yeah. With two co-founders. Our first event was January 17th, 2017. Um, and I started with two co-founders and, and a lot of where it came from was this ethos of, um, sort of two things. One, we know a lot of people that are working on important projects. Mm -hmm. I had side projects, you know, you're, you're writing a book, you're starting a prod podcast. My friend is, um, you know, wanting to launch a business, uh, wants to write a screenplay. We have all these people with really interesting projects. And so that's part one. And part two is when we sit down and we do them in intense sessions, if we just took a Sunday to just like work on your screenplay or, you know, map out mm -hmm. your business, like, it's really draining at the end of the day. It's so much work. It takes so much out of us. And our belief was that we can create a, a methodology and a community around doing work and staying energized. Mm -hmm. So um, there's been a lot of tweaks. We started in person. Now we're entirely remotely. We started at full days once a month, and now we run five times a day. Um, so things are changing a lot, and we're tweaking the the methodology and um, structure. But essentially, I've had side projects since I probably was in high school. I had little things that I was working on. And to do them around a group of equally passionate and motivated people, to have someone um, lead me, I, I don't always lead them. I, I was in a cave today, actually. And it's nice to just sort of jump in and be led by someone who's keeping track of time and keeping me motivated and focused and accountable. Um, to get my most important work done. I, I think 
ultimately the way that we see this is like, there's two kinds of work. There's mm-hmm. shallow work, which is like just sort of defensive, responsive. I'm answering emails and getting my Slack to zero and making mm-hmm. sure that everything is off my plate. And at the end of our days, like if we spend our days doing just shallow work, we feel sort of empty. Like I need mm-hmm. to work a little more because I didn't do any real work today. Maybe we, you and your, your listeners feel that same way. And so the other side is deep work. And, and if we can sort of prioritize the most important, most challenging things without distraction to put away our phones and to close all the tabs that we don't need and mm-hmm. to just focus on that one thing, you know, that's what's going to make our careers and our years and our months and our, even our days meaningful when we get to put time towards these things that are, um, you know, the, the most important work we have, whether that's like office and work and, and company related or just, you know, it's your side project. Yeah. I I mean, I participated in the session. I felt like, first of all, Robert Zeitlin, who believes in it so much, Mm. highly, you know, came highly recommended. It was crazy because at the same time as he was recommending Cave Day. Also an alt Yeah, exactly. And I don't believe Robert's from our session. Uh, I I don't know. No, he was the one before or after. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Like six or something. And then yeah. it came highly recommended. I was like, oh, I, I do remember. Why do I remember this? I think literally within 24 hours, uh, then you emailed me and mm-hmm. invited me to check it out. I was like, whoa, this is kind That's of, weird. you know how the universe works. We just don't know. And I was so excited to sign up. Uh, and as a newcomer, I had no expectations of what it's going to be. And I must say that I was really surprised for anybody who's listening, watching right now. I showed up to a room of, I think, 80 to 90 people. I was expecting single digits, to be honest. And I was like, whoa, this is like a real community. Um, and it was very thoughtful because before you join, and there's a link uh, of caveday.org that we include in the description here. Um, what I thought was really interesting was the um, before, during, and after as well, which is the before that you have that you listed um, or Cave Day provided a list of uh, sort of how to manage distractions and download these like Chrome plugins. And of course, I was like, oh, I have that. Oh, I never heard of this. So I was already learning prior to joining the session. And then during the session, there's like group stretching session that was really fascinating that every 45 minutes, every sprint that you have that you're encouraged to get up. And I remember the couple of times where I was in the middle of something, but because everybody got up, I was like, okay, now I'm going to get up and do this thing. And that was a good feeling because otherwise I would have just kept going for like an hour and a half without knowing until everybody, right. and, everything hurts. And burning yourself out. And that's where you get tired because you know, you're know you mm-hmm. passionate about what you're working on. So you want to work on it. You keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what we're trying to do is integrate the research and science and, and to say that your body and your brain really can only focus at its best for like 40 to 52 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, taking breaks and making sure that you're stretching and making sure that you're connecting with other people. Uh, hopefully in your session, you were in a breakout room for, for another break where you got to talk about something personal, talk about you know getting to know other people and, and those moments of social connection and um, physical activity outside of our work help energize the stuff that we're doing. Yeah. Would you say as an entrepreneur that you perhaps have stumbled upon a period of your life prior to cave day to realize that maybe you were overworking or you witnessed some of your family and friends were clearly overworking without a structure or without that community and support? Like what was the inspiration to say, well, this is needed, that there's a gap in the market? 
I think there's a couple things. There's definitely like feeling overworked and burned out. I think the other thing is it's really easy to get caught up into like startup culture, hustle culture. Some, some people have called it hustle porn. It's like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Uh, if you don't love what you do, you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and ultimately like where all of those philosophies um, combine into this sort of evil sphere of, of like how capitalism and work is pushing us to sort of burn us all out. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the opposite side of that is, is like, um, thinking about our work as a relationship. And if, if your if your relationship to work is healthy, you know, there's a give and a take, I'm giving my time and energy and effort. And hopefully I'm getting things in return. I'm getting, um, you know, salary or time off, or I'm getting part of my identity or, um, you know, maybe even like a, a portfolio piece or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and when those when that relationship is, is dysfunctional, when I'm like giving and giving and giving and giving my nights and my weekends and I'm giving up my other relationships and I'm giving up my, um, you know, my self-care, my sleep and my healthy eating habits, um, you know, it, it really is, it makes it impossible to, to live a healthy and meaningful life. It's, it's hard to um, like take care of your friends and family and show up for them and it's hard to take care of yourself. And so this idea of, uh, improving your relationship to work came from this idea that when I was, when I was in the ad world, uh, am I, am I cutting out for a second? You were, you you froze for a few seconds, but your voice was there the whole time. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry about that. I'm, I'll try to work on that afterwards. (laughs) Uh, um, the, so, so when I was in the advertising world, um, you know, it was really common to work eight, nine, 10 o'clock, maybe once or twice a week, yeah. you'd work past midnight. And that was pretty common. It was just sort of the culture of the agency that I worked in. And on the days that I got to work remotely, on the days that my partner and I would like work from a coffee shop and, and do our work, at three o'clock, we'd finish all mm-hmm. of the things that we needed to do because we were focused, because we yeah. knew what we had to do, because we weren't distracted, because we didn't just buy into the fact that, oh, everyone's going to stay late. So I'll just stretch my workout for another six hours. Today. So true. Um, we were done by three o'clock. We close our books. We send, you know, send the emails that we need to send. And, you know, we were mm-hmm. having happy hour and getting to sleep at a reasonable hour. And it just felt like a, a much richer experience of what work could be. Um, so I've taken a, a lot of those elements and um, with my co-founders built what we believe is, is the cave day philosophy. By the way, were you co-founders uh, from L10BA or they're maybe your friends from uh, outside of the group? Yeah, not not all NBA, just uh, friends from Very the cool. New York creative entrepreneurial <laughs> uh, world. Yeah, That's awesome. I, I'm curious because I feel like I struggle with something and that's why Cave Day was uh, helpful because I remember going in with planned work to do. I mean, I remember knowing I'm going to be there for two hours. There'll be about three sprints, uh, for example. And then I need to do this work, not that one. And for me to actually process that like, and to have a structure in place was really mm-hmm. interesting for me to be very selective. What I also learned is that there are a lot of things that take a lot longer than and I originally anticipated and planned. I, I tend to be overly ambitious with my time. Um, with that said, there's also something that you mentioned. I'm like, oh, I, I want to learn that skill, which is you do something three o'clock, you're done. You decide to go have fun, go play. 
I have <laughs> trouble sometimes, to be honest, I get too excited and I can always go back to my backlog. I'm, I'm even a scrum master. I should know better. But instead of just pause, I always go to the next sprint or go find something else to do. Um, it's satisfying and exhausting at the same time. But a part of me right. is like, I can't let go of it's time to chill, time to watch TV. Like, how do you, as a busy entrepreneur of so many companies, dissect your time and say, I'm done for the day? I'll give you the, the cheap answer and the expensive answer. And the, the cheap answer <laughs> is um, that I, I have a 20 month old daughter. Mm, Maybe I this is the expensive answer. Uh, and I'll give you the cheap adorable. answer. adorable. Totally so, yeah. Um, so, so my daughter. Uh, has changed a lot for me in terms of like, uh, you know, I, I used to be the kind of person that was like, I got to keep working. I was like working late into the night. I'm, I'm giving you an example of ending my day at three o'clock and it probably happened like, you know, I could probably count them on one hand. It, it didn't <laughs> happen that often, but when it did, it was this amazing feeling. Right. So when my daughter came around, you know, in at the end of 2018, um, it really shifted a lot for me. It was sort of like, I want to show her that I'm passionate about what I'm doing, but I also want to be sort of like a super dad that I want to be around a lot. And I want to, and that helps shift a lot of like, well, what's actually important is, mm-hmm. is, you know, sending out 15 emails to possible new clients going to be helpful today or is, you know, making sure that she's in bed or making sure that my marriage is healthy and taking time for that. Um, and I also have realized through the work with cave day that, um, that like taking a break and putting things down actually mm-hmm. gets you energized, gets you focused in a different way when you pick it back up. Like there's a lot of writing now about the the four hour, the four day work week mm-hmm. that, that not, you're not trying to get 40 hours in four days. You're just doing a 32 hour work week where when you, when you condense your time, there's something called Parkinson's law where like work will fill the time that you give it. So normally we have 40 hours of work and we fill the week or whatever, maybe you're working 50, 60 hours or more. Um, We fill the work time that we have. And when we have shorter time, when we only have 32 hours of of work, you sort of cut out the BS meetings and you cut out the like wasting time Mm. doing this and that. And and you one hour meetings now are half hour meetings and you just get to things a lot faster. And so I think that the, maybe the cheap answer is like, my marriage, my, my family has allowed me to reprioritize. And the more expensive answer is like, um, you know, thinking through what are your priorities, knowing that taking a break improves your work, um, sort of cutting the fat on your work. And, and maybe a, a practical piece of advice or, or something that I definitely do um, is keeping a list of the things that I want to do for fun, like mm-hmm. personal development and, and fun things so that when I am done closing my laptop or, or whatever for the day, I'm not just like, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to mindlessly scroll through Netflix looking for something. It's like, no, I have a list of the shows that I want to watch. I have a list of the books that I want or have separated Mm -hmm. the books on my shelf from I've read these. I haven't read these. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've, uh, I have a a little post-it note next to my bed. That's just like, here's what I should be thinking about. You know, like do my Hebrew flashcards or Mm -hmm. um, stretch uh, anything like that, like keeping yourself a separate list of like non-work mm-hmm. habits or non-work to do's can help you um, not default into, uh, you know, bad Netflix show that I don't really want to watch, but I need to take a break um, or important work. So, yeah, I, I notice like the behavior and habit changing is really uh, profound. And for me to adapt 
Pomodoro method to do 25 minutes, five minute breaks, which reminds me so much of a cave day, except for mm-hmm. I now I'm accountable. Like I almost feel like as part of cave day, if everybody is stretching, doing their thing and I'm heads down doing something, it's like, oh, wait a minute. You know, it's like, yeah, you're, you the know, weird part, one. you're the weird one. You're not the part of the army anymore. Uh, and like with the method with, especially Pomodoro is so short, 25 minutes, which cave day is a little bit longer. I feel like even if I want to touch my phone and just reply to one thing, I'm like, can't do that. Cause I got to finish this in 25 minutes. I can't afford two or five minutes out of the 25. It's just going to throw me off. Like somehow is reinforcing the importance of focusing while what you're committing to do. Um, I, I, yeah, this is pretty, uh, pretty amazing. I, I'm still just so surprised like how you're able to trust me because I know it's it's hard. It's hard work to really build hard. from an idea or to a project and a project to a company. A company now that runs Cave Day, like you said, five days a week and they're multiple sessions, guys. So it's not even like once yeah. a day. No, they're four to five times a, a week. Um, and I, I'm, maybe I'm jumping the gun to ask about the process of growing from no, go for thing. it. Um, so we, I, I mentioned we launched in the, the Alt-MBA in January of 2017. And it was just supposed to be a one-time event. It was like, let's get our friends together. We're going to do some research. We're going to put on this fun event. We're going to get it catered. There's going to be snacks and lunch. Um, we're going to bring in a coach in case you need a break and, and want to you know, meet with a coach. And um, you know, we charged, uh, maybe it was 50 bucks at the time for a full day with lunch and coffee and all that. Wow. Um, and we sold out and it was like, huh, this is weird. You know, 50, 60 people showed up. Um, I think each of the co-founders and I made, maybe it was like $200. It was like, oh, this, this is kind of cool. We made some money. People yeah. loved it. Um, we're providing value. So we did it again in an, another month or two. And somebody happened to be there that was a journalist and was working on his own project and decided to write an article wow. with Fast Company about Cave Day. Uh, so we got this huge press in our third month around. Um, And that sort of built the momentum to grow. And and we just kept it as this little side project. We would meet, you know, once or twice a week, just for an hour or two. What do we want to do for the next one? How are we going to change it? And in the last really, what, what really shifted a lot of things is actually, I mentioned my daughter was born in October of 2018. And my co-founder, Molly, her son was born in August of 2018, like six weeks apart. And, um, we were both going to take some time off, you know, as entrepreneurs, I can go into a whole tirade about, um, you know, taking time off and maternity leave and paternity leave, but not going to do that. We wanted to take some time (laughs) off. Um, so we actually needed to hire people to run the case Mm -hmm. that we were doing. And so that was the first, uh, sort of step in the growth that we've been doing, which is creating a curriculum, um, really putting our philosophy into words and being able to teach it and bringing on more people. And since then, uh, I think we have 15 or 16 facilitators uh, across the world. We've got facilitators in Amsterdam, Toronto, San Diego, uh, Denver, New York, DC, Philly, Mm -hmm. all over the place. Um, And yeah, it's sort of great. And with COVID and, and working from home in the last couple of months, it's been sort of amazing to see how this has grown kind of organically. And I'll, actually a funny, funny story. If you, if I can take yeah, one, more, one more minute, two more minutes. <laughs> um, 
So when all of this started, we had said, hey, we should put together a webinar, how to work better remotely. How to, and, and what we did is we sent out 10 emails. Um, you know, it was like March 10th or something, you know, right at the beginning of this. We sent 10 emails to former clients and corporate connections that we had. And we said, hey, are you interested in a webinar? Um, it's how to work better remotely. Uh, and, and sort of immediately, I think we got six responses within an hour. Mm-hmm. Everyone said yes. And we said, cool, it's going to be whatever we said, $1,000, $1,500 uh, 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 um, a company. And then, you know, we'll, we'll work in, you know, cave day membership beyond that or something. And every single one was like, sorry, we don't have the budget for that. We don't, we can't do that. And so what's been really interesting is that that sort of mistake of like thinking we should charge for something um, shifted uh, our strategy and sort of the way we've been treating the last four months in, in COVID, which has been, we just gave it away. We said, let's list something. Let's do it for free. Let's help people now because we know we have something valuable. And so we did four webinars, back-to-back weeks, the same webinar. Um, each one sold out. It was like 100 people in each one. Um, and we're continuing to sort of find the right partnerships and just to, to be generous. We, we've got a lot of people that are signing up and then um, sort of canceling their membership because they, they'll email us and say, you know, I lost my job. I can't really afford it. Um, and we have mm-hmm. scholarship and we have a pay what you want month um, for those kinds of people. And, and we're trying to be generous knowing that like what mm-hmm. we're actually doing is, is including you in part of the world's most focused community. Um, we're including you uh, in a way to build a better habit around your work. So yeah, it was so many different experiments. And to, I mean, these stories you never hear from entrepreneurs and for people who are working their nine to five, noticing that there's clearly a very, very dramatic shift um, that it would just be so much better, at least from what I hear from, you know, my, my cohort, my group of people is people are working full time. They're like, oh man, I wish I started something on my own a few years ago, just so mm-hmm. that I'm in the game, that I have that momentum. But hearing you talk about these things, I think it's very encouraging because a lot of people feel like they have failed or they're going to fail. Uh, people won't come to them. They don't know how much to charge. Um, so th- I feel like in, for me as well, there's that imposter syndrome kicking in when I'm doing something new. Maybe it's a course. Maybe I'm trying to finally sell something. Um, but for you, again, there's like, to, you know, to look at your resume is quite a you know, it's just astonishing, like the, the brands uh, that you're able to, you know, to create, not just to attach your name to. So, I mean, first of all, congratulations. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> Three amazing years since Alta MBA for you. Um, and I want to definitely talk about School of Life. It's one of my favorite YouTube channel. Um, my, I don't know whether it was ever a book, but I've been following, I think there's a podcast they have a book a book of life they have a podcast lots of books and lot lots of books and um even though this is kind of a shift from cave day but the more i talk to you the more i get to know you is like oh my god this is completely on brand for you i see cave day school of life i mean it's just like this continuum of you know what the, the the whole belief system of living a life that's defined by you that's really in a way uncon unconventional in a way that's not what our parents taught us and is the reality that we're seeing for ourselves. So um, what, so could you tell me a bit about 
this amazing UK-based school of life company and you become one of the founding US faculty member. How did that come about and what did you create for them? Sure. Um, so first of all, I, I want to just say like, thank you. I'll take the compliment. And um, for all of you listening, I, I don't want to pretend like I always know what I'm doing. I think it's mm-hmm. it's nice to hear that like all of those things feel cohesive and you know, every three months, every six months, I'll sort of go into a, how do these fit together? What am I doing? I, I don't see the connection between Cave Day and the School of Life and Design. I feel like they're, they're separate. And sometimes it, anyway. Um, they're so, so cohesive to me. I mean, I feel like I, I'm incohesive, but no, your, your brand makes perfect sense. Um, it's always easier to, to see it in somebody else. So thank True. you. And I just want to say, if you're listening, like, it's okay to not see the connections yet. Patterns show up and um, keep doing what you're enjoying doing. Um, so I think like you, Faye, I, I, I've mm-hmm. always been a fan of the School of Life. I, it must have been four-ish years ago. I was on a, I think it must have been my honeymoon. It was like um, summer of 2016. I was in Europe and came across this design store. And I think I spent like $300 on just like books and cards. And I was at School of Life is amazing. Oh, um, wow. And then I got into their I got into their YouTube channel and I was just like, this is everything. This is like emotional intelligence, emotional intelligence at work, um, self-awareness, all of like philosophy and psychology together. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've been following them for a long time and, and as a freelancer and someone sort of interested in teaching in general, um, which as just a quick side note, I've, I've taught uh, different college courses uh, for the last, eight or nine years, like usually creative stuff, creative process, copywriting, branding, um, stuff like that. So I I love teaching. I love being in Mm -hmm. front of people and um, sort of facilitating learning. So as a fan of the School of Life, as a freelancer, um, you know, I was sort of like pretty desperate to find my way in. And I was like, (laughs) you know, connecting with everyone on LinkedIn and trying to send them messages and will you meet with me? And maybe I feel like I could design you know, your, your website better or whatever, you know, I was like trying yeah, I, to offer help yeah. and getting nowhere with it. And, um, I happened to look, uh, online and they were, it, it was like right at the beginning of 2018, something like that. Uh, and they were, they were looking for a part-time facilitator in New York. Like that is perfect. Yeah. So I apply and I found the person who had posted the job and we had a mutual friend, which was part, like someone in London. Um, so I asked for an introduction and we had just a re- like a 15 minute call, just like introducing myself. And when she came to New York to like do all the interviews, we got coffee. Um, and, and that personal connection definitely helped, but um, I don't want to downplay that. Like uh, mm-hmm. there was also a, um, an audition. So you had to, you, I should say that like, what the role was for is that the school of life has a school of life for business branch mm-hmm. where they, t- they have 20 different workshops that, you know, your, your company can hire the school of life to come in for one of these 20, one of these two hour workshops. Um, and the role was just to facilitate the, the workshops in the United States for their U S clients. So part of the process was auditioning. Uh, and I, mem- I, I memorized, uh, I think a 30, 30 minute chunk of, of one of the workshops. And it was something that I felt very passionately about. It was related to 
cave day work. It was, um, mm-hmm. the topic was effectiveness. So how do you show up? How do you choose and prioritize what to work on? Um, and I'll, I'll just, I'll say sort of in a moment of non-humbleness, like I crushed it. I was like, <laughs> I had their attention. I made them laugh. I, I was great. And, and they offered the availability to like watch everyone else do their auditions. Yeah. And it was just so clear from the beginning, like, oh, one, people didn't take this seriously. People didn't study. People were reading and not memorizing. Um, you know, there was just such a wide range of like what people came thinking this was supposed to be. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm one of, I think, two, maybe three U.S. faculty members. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been around. I've been working with them for a little over two years. And um, I, I wish that I could. T- you, you asked in your question. I wish that I could take claim that I've created things for them. Um, I, I have not, um, but I facilitate <laughs> workshops yeah. for them. Um, and I'm in sort of weekly contact with their, um, content team about giving them feedback, giving them suggestions mm-hmm. about making the workshops better. Um, and what's actually been really nice in this COVID time, uh, is that I'm booking a lot more workshops with them. They've got, I'm, I'm leading workshops in the U S and, uh, in Europe. And so I'm, I'm leading more often. I'm more familiar with the content. Uh, they're testing things out. I'm giving them more suggestions and, um, it just feels like a company that I could see myself growing with and and being a part of because it aligns with my own personal values and philosophies and related to cave day and and sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, everything else that I'm thinking about these days. That's I, I think something not to overlook there is that you found a brand in your case, School of Life. You know, in my case, years ago, I saw Cirque du Soleil for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. And it was just blown away. And you find yourself laugh, feeling scared, cry, and like praying for people on stage. And, uh, you know, I think w- I did something very similar. I reach out to, in this case, the Atherton twins. Turns out they actually created that act, but I was not watching them. They've already moved on to other shows. Oh, and wow. Yeah. I mean, they didn't have like the most intuitive website, but there was one email address. I reached out to them and, you know, three years later, they're in the, in my documentary, we have an online course together. I redid their, their website. That was the first project. So there's something about, uh, I think there's some level of not just interest, but intuition by the time that you became a, a short list of facilitators and it was already like, you already integrated the knowledge somehow embodied that, um, because you, you believe in the brand and, um, I absolutely, I, I'm not sure about everybody else there just saw it maybe as a job, but they were maybe not as in love, um, in love with the content, but on top of that, you're a professor as well. So that's, that takes a lot of practice that people won't be able to, to get over the weekend, right? You practice with your mom, your sister, but you yeah. had already been a professor for years at that point. Yeah. I think that's a great realization that I, I maybe didn't think about enough about how when you follow a brand, when you uh, are a fan of someone or something like, you know, when you end up talking to them, finally, um, if if you can sort of withhold that inner sort of starstruckness, inner yeah. sort of nerd out, you know, 12 year old yeah. self, like give me your autograph. Um, yeah. You can actually like have much deeper conversations because you've, you're right. You've, in, I've internalized, you know, their, their teachings and philosophies sounds like you as well. And, um, I think it's all also rare. Like, yeah. you know, I can, I could think of maybe like a musician that I loved in high school and the school of life more as an adult, but there, you know, it's not like I 
have a list of 50 people that I'm in love with. It, it's, there's, there's few and far between. And so they're really looking up to them and, and diving into their work is, um, seems like it, it important. Yeah. So, so my last question related to uh, Cave Day and the School of Life as you're talking, and thank you for reflecting as always, uh, is, you know, how, how do you balance your project versus their projects? And so in this case, you are a creator and you're also a consultant slash facilitator. Like, do you find that more exciting? I know some people are like, I can only do my thing where I can only work for somebody else. And you're kind of in the middle mm. of that. How do you balance? How do you enjoy the process? Um. I don't have a great answer for that. I, I would say, I, I think what I've learned is that one helps with the other, that by, because maybe it's because cave day um, focuses on like, how do you show up at work? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe just by necessity, because cave day is probably only like a third of my income. Like I, I need to go mm-hmm. look for clients and I need to go take contracts to, mm-hmm. to work, you know, in-house at, at a brand or an agency or something. So maybe by necessity and, and um, uh, like just the way that the, the work integrates, but um, uh, maybe just I, I don't I don't know if I have a great answer, but I'll just I'll share a little thing that I, I've started to do in the last year or so, uh, or at the beginning of 2020, is that I have um, I make my to do list in four qua like four categories. I, I do mm-hmm. cave day. I do my design work. Um, I have my personal and I have um, teaching. Mm-hmm. And, and typically it's like my work falls into uh, design, teaching and cave day. And then I think, you know, we all have personal things that we want to get to. It's, you know, whatever. I don't have to explain personal stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I have it mapped out by day. So, you know, Monday, here's what I have to do in each of those four columns. Um, mm-hmm. and with each one, I put a star next to the most important task of the four uh, or, or of the four mm-hmm. columns. Like what's the most important task of the day? And some days it's like, or some weeks it'll be like, you know, I'm working on cave day primarily for mm-hmm. two, three, four days of the week. And, you know, Hey, I need to get that design thing done or I need to just sort of refine that logo. That'll take me an hour or two. Um, so I, I think in terms of prioritizing, being able to segment my work, being able to like step back and um, sort of order what am I going to do when mm-hmm. on which day, and like also I've tended to um, put my most important work first thing in the morning. So mm-hmm. like by by ten or eleven o'clock in the morning, I'm like done with my hardest task, so that you know my afternoon is podcasts and um, going for walks and calling friends and meetings and sort of the easier task. And that level of prioritization has helped a lot. When do you wake up, by the way? What's your the sleep schedule? <laughs> a lot of people are interested in that. When you wake up, when you go to sleep, typically. Sure. Uh, so without a story, I wake up at 5.45. I go to sleep at 9.30. Oh, wow. All right. That's that's clearly, that's well-trained. You probably <laughs> I, I conditioned yourself to, to be that in that schedule. Wow. Yeah. Uh, my morning routine is very rigid and has been that way for several years already. Yeah. Oh, cool. I know you didn't want to get into it and we don't, we don't have to, but at a high level, where is it like, uh, not just Tim Ferriss, but this, is there a model that you are adapting or did you kind of invent that yourself for yourself? The, the morning routine? Yeah. Like what I do. Um, 
it's it's something that I've developed over time. I, I can't tell you like direct, you know, I've read Tim Ferriss. I've read <laughs> um, Benjamin Spall has a book, My Morning Routine, or Mason Curry has his book, uh, Daily Rituals. Like I've read a lot about rituals. And so mm-hmm. basically I'll just, I'll explain that, you know, I wake up at 545, I'll drink uh, a glass of water. I'll have a banana. I'll start journaling. I stretch. I do my exercise. Uh, and then I do my most important task. And usually that most important ta- task is started by seven. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's like, it's, it's an hour of exercise, stretching, journaling, maybe some meditation, light breakfast. Um, so it's pulled from all these different places and it, it's tweaked over the years. You know, it wasn't always 545. Sometimes mm-hmm. it was earlier, more than often uh, it was later. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, I've, I've, Picked and chosen what works for me. What I mean, do you have you shared on on your podcast? I'm I'm curious about you and your morning routine. If you can, oh, I'm terrible. I I, I am. <laughs> what do they call like lark personality? Something. I think Daniel Pink's at the lark versus owl. Uh-huh. I am my whole family. I I I'm so fascinated. Trust me. I try to adapt to the waking up early, but <laughs> I am most productive at night. And sometimes my mom, my mom stuck here with me because of COVID, came to visit me from China. We're having a great time, but she would pop in. She, <laughs> she, she's an artist as well. And she paints at night. And like, I grew up watching her paint at like three in the morning. So now she like peeks into my office and said, oh, it's midnight. You should really go to sleep. So, you know, by midnight, I feel like I got something left in me. I have to write it, conclude it, check things off the list. Yeah. So then I wake up, to be honest, fairly late the next morning, usually like, 8.30 or so. Um, how's my energy level? Not always mm-hmm. not always great. But the problem I was going to say that I, I've a, it probably takes time. I was going to say like when you go to sleep at 9.45 or 10, like how quickly do you fall asleep? Because I tried that. I'm like staring at the ceiling. Like I need some sort of tea or honey. I can't sleep. Um, so. I think I, maybe this is just because it works for me, but I am an easy sleeper. Mm-hmm. I my wife makes fun of me that like, if we, we don't go on the train now because we don't go on the train, you know? Yeah. Anyway, but when we would go on the train, it would be three stops to get to our apartment. And within three stops, I could fall asleep. Like oh my God. You know, 10 minutes. I'm fall- I, I think part of it is, you know, when you wake up at five thirty, five forty five, six o'clock, like yeah. I don't drink, I don't drink coffee. Maybe that. Uh, me either. Helps. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I get tired. Uh, I'm, I'm able to fall asleep and you know, I, if it, if it doesn't work for you, if you're not an easy sleeper, then I wouldn't recommend it. But, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of writing and, and tips about improving the way you sleep, you know, turning off screens an hour before you go, dimming the lights, mm-hmm. um, reading, all kinds of things that can sort of put you in the right mindset for sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's super fascinating to, to actually hear people trying something and I'm open to anything. I love running the experiments on myself these days. I love going on whole 30 for 30 days. I love trying mm-hmm. keto uh, and realize it doesn't, as much as I believe in it, it doesn't work for me. I think because I noticed like keto diet for Asian people just doesn't always work well because we were never ever on those uh, sort of diet, heavy in protein uh, and sort of dairy products yeah. and things like that. Um, I think what, what I love about what you're saying is that like, doing these experiments, not to like look for results. You're yeah. not like looking to, you know, drop 30 pounds in 30 days. I think 
the interesting thing about doing these kinds of experiments is to learn about yourself. Mm-hmm. Is to do a one month of, you know, a, a new diet, one month of no spend any money, one month of only cooking, one month of um, no alcohol or wh- whatever yeah. you might do. The goal is not necessarily to like look for different results. The goal is to say, what am I learning about myself? What do I need? Mm-hmm. Um, how how do I implement that learning into a new habit or a new, I don't know, worldview even? Yeah, the worldview is such a great example because I, you know, this is not me urging everybody to go sign up for L10BA or join other groups, but, you know, I think we're so lucky. Um, Jake, are you based in New York, I assume? Yeah. Are you? Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm based in Boston and I have friends in Philly, not, you know, in California, but there are a lot of people who have never been exposed to entrepreneurship the way that we have been. When I mm-hmm. talk to people, especially during COVID, that I talk to people and I hear that struggle of, you know, I come from a military family. Nobody in my family has done anything like this. And, you know, I'm not being supported perhaps or understood by my family. And that's when I feel like for a lot of people going through L10BA, going, joining Dory Clark's mm-hmm. group is changing their worldviews like oh my god i don't feel this understood it's yeah. yeah exactly it's possible relatable stories and uh that you are you know some people feel they are not well liked at work when everybody wants 9 to ha- 9 to 5 a couple of kids living in the suburb and they want to go see the world in their 30s people are like what's wrong with you but then they find their people and they're so much happier it's really fascinating yeah um, i love that yeah, so I know that I booked forty-five minutes, and I, I oh. knew we we're going to talk longer. But uh, so, Jake, before I I wrap up um, here, I really want to hear a bit about MoMA. Uh, if it's a longer story, <laughs> if you have time for it, I'm all for it. Uh, it's a short story. I'm happy to share. So, uh, the the claim to fame is that I have work in the permanent collection of MoMA, and the truth behind that is, um, I I was the creative director of a small agency here in New York City. Uh, we were working on a social impact project uh, with the Clinton Global Initiative. You know, this is in 2014, 15, or 15, 16, maybe. Um, and we made a VR film that was uh, the work that the Clinton Global Initiative was doing in East Africa. It was a really interesting film where it starts off and you're sitting across the desk from President Clinton uh, and he's explaining all the work. It's, it's a really intimate thing when virtual reality was like just starting. Yeah. Um, And we won an award. We won um, the AICP, the American Institute of Commercial Producers um, Next Award, which was like sort of innovation in the field and storytelling. And I I don't remember all the qualifications. Uh, I I heard of it. Yeah. Um, And part of being awarded this award is that it goes into the MoMA permanent collection. So it's, it's never been displayed at MoMA, but it's, it's there and it's a technicality (laughs) of the award. And I'm happy to claim it on my bio. <laughs> um, but wait a minute, but you do that that's amazing. Sorry. That that story is amazing. You're an art director and it it just it's it doesn't get any better than that. Okay. MoMA is the uh, agreed. Uh, I know it's, it's, it's at the top and I think uh, still on my life list is to have a product sold in the MoMA gift store. I don't <laughs> know what that will ever be. Um but their their stuff is so cool and it's always been top of my list and so to, to technically claim that my, my stuff is in the permanent collection is, is cool. Um, it feels a little bit like cheating, but it's true. Uh, but yeah, it's a, a little side note. Yeah. 
You draw also. I was really surprised to go to uh, like, I thought that's what you meant. I went to Instagram, finally found your profile because we're connected elsewhere. And I yeah. saw and just pages and pages of mm. baby pictures. I assume you're drawing your daughter and other inspirations as well. Yeah. So I, I, I draw my daughter a lot. Um, Feel free I to share went, if you're... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, it's, it's, it's in the right here, the, if that's where it is, um, I went to art school, you know, when I went, when I wanted to go into animation, maybe this is a good full circle story, but <laughs> I went to art school thinking I was going to go into animation and I ended up with a, gr- a degree in fine art. So I took drawing classes in illustration and graphic design. Um, and so I love art. I've drawn and painted my whole life. Mm. Uh, I miss it. And so yeah, I don't know. What if five, six years ago, I was like, you know what? I haven't painted in a long time. I sort of I, I funneled all of my creative outlets into design and client work and filmmaking and advertising. I need to get back into just like pure art, like you know, like your mom, just like three in the morning painting, like getting into that flow state. Yeah, they're beautiful. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I try. You know, we talked a little bit about daily habits. Trying to integrate. You know is there one night a week where I can get 30 minutes of drawing in or, or can I, can I get 10 minutes a couple times a week? Um, so I have lots of sketchbooks and I paint a lot. Um, from time to time, I'll get bigger projects, a mural here and there, but, um, generally I just love drawing and painting. I miss it. I feel like I'm in flow state. Um, and, and actually maybe as, as an interesting closing story, um, uh, about, Two years ago, I made a project of painting. It's called 45 Villains. And it was um, Donald Trump as famous villains in history. Maybe maybe you saw him on my I Instagram. I saw that, yes. So it was this project, 45 Villains. And, um, you know, it was him as like the the killer in Fargo and um, the, the Wicked Witch of the West. And <laughs> just sort of like a playful way to say like, hey, he's a villain, get it? Um, and... I, I put, I put them on Etsy and ended up selling, I made like a couple hundred bucks. No, I saw that. And, and it was, it was cool. And so the mm-hmm. next year I decided maybe one of my goals should be to make a thousand dollars from my stuff, from my mm-hmm. art. I need to be doing art more. And, and really quickly I realized that that was a really bad idea because this is something that was like an outlet. This is something I love. This is something I do for fun and for flow and just, um, and the idea of like having to make it make money was um, really got in the way of like doing it for fun and, and for what I love. So I've actually shifted from like, I need to make my art make money to like, I'm purposefully not putting anything else on Etsy and um, not selling my art, at least for the time being. Like, it's just nice to have things yeah. that are not going to make money that are just for my soul. I mean, that is so important. We don't talk about that because it sounds like a privilege. And I know it is a privilege for creative people to say that I don't have to uh, translate everything I do into money. But I think we need to even more consciously create that space for ourselves. And that's precisely the space I needed with podcasting, which I started in 2014, is because I felt Hmm. very unsatisfied through my my full-time job. And it was so childish of me really to think that my job somehow needs to fulfill these creative endeavors and all these thoughts. And, you know, and I just, I think I'm also someone who needs so much of that on the side. Maybe I needed the spiritual stuff more so than some other people. It doesn't make me better or worse or anything. I needed that. 
And I started podcasting. The first thing a lot of family and even friends said is like, how much money are you making? If you're not, what's the point? And especially was very uh, obvious, especially in my in the Asian community, particularly at home and from mm-hmm. home back in China. People are like, what is the point if you're not making money? And I, it took a, it was very challenging to hear that message, but to keep going, keep rolling with the podcast. And two years later, believe it, believe it or not, because of that, you know, I started my own company. A lot of people didn't mm-hmm. realize that I was talking to Dory Clark and, you know, she encouraged me to say, oh, you converted a lot, a lot. I didn't even convert. I didn't do anything to my guests, listeners, a lot of guests, friends start referring so much digital marketing work to me. And I was really shocked. I was like, sure, I like you. I'll do this. And and then it just started to grow completely organically. Yeah, Um, Yeah, I I, I think that that is definitely under under talked about and the idea of, doing something not just for money, but because you're good at it, because you're interested in it, just because you're, you're going to learn something. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you're right to call it the privilege in that. But um, if you're able to, um, you know, who knows where it, it's going to lead. But I think it's a dangerous place to just say, we only do things for money because then we live lives that are just chasing money instead of chasing, you mm-hmm. know, I, I think the, the point of getting money is to be able to spend it on the things that you love having and doing. and. Um, money is not the obstacle money or money is not the objective money is the way to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm yeah. that's a, a nice place to wrap up. Yeah, for, for sure. For sure. Thank you so much, Jake, for joining me. I'm going to take us offline now. Bye guys. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate yeah. it. No, I, I, I thought we had booked it out. I mean, like I'm happy to talk. This is you're you're a great interviewer and, um, I'm just fascinated by your own story and getting there. So this was great. Thanks for oh, having me. Oh, it's so fun. Absolutely. And uh, yes. This episode of the Face World podcast is brought to you by Face World LLC, our marketing service agency created for independent creators and businesses. We offer website development, video production, marketing mentorship, to people who want to tell better stories, level up, and create a profitable brand. Face World Podcast team are Chief Editor and Producer Herman Ceballos, Associate Producer Adam Leffert, Social Media and Content Manager Rose De Leon, Transcript Editor Alina Ahmidova, and lastly, myself, the creator and host of Face World. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>